Let's read here. We're in chapter 3 of Numbers, and we're starting at verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be put to death. The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord." The Lord said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, count the Levites by their families and clans, count every male a month old or more. And then we're moving down to the end of verse 20. These were the Levite clans according to their families. To Gershon belonged the clans of the Libnites and the Shemites. These were the Gershonite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 7,500. The Gershonite clans were to camp in the west behind the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Gershonite was Elisaph, son of Lael. At the tent of meeting, the Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle and tent, its coverings, the curtains at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains at the courtyard, the curtains at the entrance to the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and altar and the ropes and everything related to their use. To Kohath belonged the clans of the Amramites, Israelites, Hebronites, and Uzelites. These were the Kohathite clans. The number of all the males, a month old or more, was 8,600. The Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. The Kohathite clans were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Kohathite clans was Elisaphan, son of Uziel. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. The chief leader of the Levites was Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest. He was appointed over those who were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. To Mirari belonged the clans of the Mahlites and the Mushites. These were the Merarite clans. The number of all the males, a month old or more, who were counted was 6,200. The leader of the families of the Merarite clans was Zuriel, son of Abihel. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. The Merarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, bases, all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, 
tent pegs and ropes. Moses and Aaron and his sons were to camp to the east of the tabernacle towards the sunrise in front of the tent of meeting. They were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who approached the sanctuary were to be put to death. The total number of Levites counted at the Lord's command by Moses and Aaron, according to their clans, including every male a month old or more, was 22,000. Amen. We're going to think a little bit about that passage um, that was read to us, a, a very long passage with a lot of very difficult names. Um, any parents, grandparents, I encourage you not to consider any of those names for your children. Um, if you are going to look at the Old Testament, there are some good names there, uh, but none of them um, in that passage from, <laughs> from Numbers. Um, the Bible itself, what an incredible book. What an absolutely incredible book the Bible is. There is no other book like the Bible. Yes, there have been fantastic books written over the years, War and Peace, The Lord of the Rings, um, the, the Grapes of Wrath, any Stephen King book, uh, but, but none, none of these books um, compare to, to the Bible, to a book that was written uh, um, over, over a period of, of about a thousand years, covering a period of, of over 2,000 years of history, written by, by so many different people. And, and, and what I find particularly incredible about um, the Bible is, is, is how we can see threads running through Scripture, threads running through these different manuscripts that have been written by different people who have been separated by centuries. And, and when you see these threads working their way through the Bible, then you can clearly see that this is a book that might have been written by different people, but there has been one hand guiding these people as they have written, inspiring these people, as they have chosen which words to use and which events to record. And we can read a book like Numbers, a book written 600 years before Jesus was born, a book that talks about events 1400 years before Jesus was born, and yet if we look at it, what we already see is glimpses of God's grace. We already see glimpses of God's amazing plan for the redemption of, of people that will become possible through, through the work that happens on the cross and possible through the work of his people that he has set apart for that saving work that he has planned. The last time we looked at the book of Numbers, Norman spoke about um, the, the tribes that were camped around um, the, the, the camp there in, in, in the wilderness. Remember, there was a, he had a diagram up on the screen and you saw the other 11 tribes that were encamped on the boundaries uh, of, of, the, of the camp in the wilderness. But, but the, the 12th tribe that he didn't mention was the tribe of Levi, the Levites. And that's who we're going to think about today because um, the Levites weren't on the outer boundary, they were on the inner boundary uh, around the tabernacle. They were people that God had set aside um, to be his priests, to be the ones who, who were going to have access to him and speak to him on behalf of the people um, and, and who were going to go to the people and speak to them on, on behalf of God. Who were the Levites? The, the Levites were the descendants of Levi. Levi was the third son of Jacob. We don't know much about Levi, 
but what we do know about him is quite fascinating or, or maybe, maybe frightening is a better word um, about what we learn about Levi. He, he was one of the 11 brothers who, who were responsible for, for um, throwing Joseph uh, their younger brother into a pit of selling him to, to merchants who then eventually sold him into slavery in Egypt. He was one of those brothers. Um, but, but in Genesis 34 is where we get a real glimpse of who Levi was. What happens in, in Genesis 34 is, is that one of their sisters, a sister called Dinah, she was away from the family home um, and, and a guy called Shechem, who was the son of one of the um, Hivite rulers in the area, Shechem sees her um, and he rapes her. And Levi and his brother Simeon decide that they are going to defend their sister's honor by taking revenge, not just on Shechem, but on the entire city that he comes from. Shechem was so captivated by Dinah. I know this sounds such a strange and, and almost a sick thing to say, but he was so captivated by Dinah that he wanted to marry her. So Levi and Simeon tell him um, that before that can happen, Shechem, his father, and all the men of that city, they first need to be circumcised. And so they agree to do that. And then what happens is three days later, while the men are all in pain still, Levi and his brother Simeon attack the city, they plunder the city, and they kill all the men. And despite their father's anger for them acting the way that they did, um, they are unrepentant. They are unapologetic for, for what they've done. And so in Genesis 49, shortly before um, Jacob dies, he, he, he speaks prophecy over his sons. And, and he says these words to Simeon and Levi. He says to them, Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger they murdered men. And they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. Levi and his descendants were effectively cursed by their father. And then a few centuries later, one of their descendants, um, in his anger, because of the way the Israelites have been treated by, by the Egyptians, kills an Egyptian. And that descendant of Levi, as you've probably worked out, was called Moses. The Levites were, a descendant, were descendants of a man who, who, who acted in anger, who looked for his own way to take revenge and to get even. And in Moses, we see one of those descendants not doing much better. So it seems strange that God would use the, the descendant of, of, of this tribe um, to act on his behalf, to go and speak to Pharaoh on behalf of God and express his desire to set his people free. And then also to use further descendants um, of this, this angry, violent, murderous man um, to become his priests, to become the line of which the priests of Israel um, will come from. But what we're seeing here is a foretaste of, God's, um, of what God is going to do to redeem us. God chooses a people who are under a curse, people who choose to do things the way the world wants them to be done. 
And he chooses these people to be his people. He redeems them and he makes them righteous so they can do the work that he has set them apart to do so that they can be his voice amongst the people. God's amazing grace in action here. And a glimpse of God's plan for his church, the people set apart to work for him. There are a few helpful things that we can learn about the Levites from this passage. Verse 12 and 13 tell us that these are the people that God chose. He set them apart to do his work amongst the people of Israel. They didn't earn the rights the right to be priests. They weren't qualified in any way to be priests. They were appointed to the priesthood because God chose them to be his priests. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, What he says there in, in that passage, I've taken the Levites from amongst the Israelites. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. God chooses them to be his priests, not because they're qualified, not because of anything they've done, but purely because of his grace and his decision. We're told that they're the only ones who are allowed to enter the tabernacle, who are only ones allowed to enter into the holy of holies, that part of the tabernacle that the Israelites believed was, was, was where God was present. And by following God's law and his purification rituals, the Levites could become righteous. They couldn't enter there on their own. They had to do certain things. They had to follow purification laws and rituals so that they were holy enough to enter into the presence of God. And then we also heard from these verses um, about the different clans that made up the Levites that, that each of these clans had the responsibility for caring for the tabernacle. They were each given different responsibilities to look after different parts of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God and the priests were responsible for its care. But what does it mean for all of us? What does that information about the Levites mean for us? As we take this journey called life, as we travel further and further away from that place of captivity where we were slaves to sin and we move towards the promised kingdom of heaven, What do we learn about ourselves and about God from this passage? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says that the followers of Jesus are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. If we are priests, then there must be something that we can learn from this passage about who we are in our relationship with God and the world around us. And I see three things that I want to highlight with you today. Firstly, like the Levites, we have been chosen by God not because of anything that we have done and not because we are in any way qualified to be the children of God. We have been chosen by God and he has made it possible for us to become righteous. What I mean by righteous, it's a word that we, that we use generally only here in in church settings. It's not something that we use outside of church very often unless we're we're using it in a negative way and referring to people as being self-righteous and and meaning it negatively. But what we mean by righteous is is that we come into a right relationship with God. When we are living in sin and under under the rule of sin in our lives, our relationship with God is wrong. 
but God makes it right, so he makes us righteous. And this is not, again, because of anything that we've done ourselves or anything that we can do to prove that we're righteous. It is because of God's grace that we have become righteous. For the Levites, God gave them purification rituals that they had to follow. And they had to do it every time it was their turn to enter into um, the Holy of Holies. Every time they entered into the Holy of Holies, they had to go through this purification ritual. Without it, they were not considered to be righteous. And as verse 10 tells us, that there is no place for the unrighteous to find an intimate relationship with God. Verse 10 says that anyone else who approaches the sanctuary is to be put to death. It might sound like a very harsh thing to say, but we have to remember that God is a holy God and that there is no place for sin and sinfulness in the presence of God. It also points to the end of Revelation where God creates all things new and only the righteous, only those who have been saved in Christ remain. And it says that God will be with his people. He will be and walk amongst his people. There is no place in the intimate presence of God except for those who have been made righteous. Which is why he sent his son to die on the cross for us. To take our sin upon him. When we believe in Jesus, when we believe in the work that Jesus has done on the cross, that he is the one who died for us, then we are made righteous in Christ. Then we can come into this intimate relationship in the presence of God. We're told in Luke 23 verse 45 that in the moments before Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was ripped in two. That, that curtain, very much like a curtain hanging here that, that there's a bit behind there. Now, that's not the presence of God. That's not what that curtain represents. But in the temple it did. Only those who had been purified, only those who had gone through the ritual, who God had chosen, could go beyond that curtain and go and meet with God um, in his presence. But Jesus, the work on the cross that Jesus did meant that that curtain was no longer necessary because all could, or it was possible, for all to come into the presence of God. But only possible because of the work that Jesus had done on the cross. But that possibility becomes a reality when we believe in him. So there is the possibility through the work of the cross that we can be righteous too. But that possibility only becomes a reality when we put our faith in Jesus, when we come to him. And so, like God chooses the Levites, the people who descended from a man who was under a curse, who came from a bad seed, and rescued them from captivity. So Jesus, so God chooses those of us who have been rescued, who are descendants of a bad seed. And God chooses us and makes it possible for us to be righteous and allow us to come into that intimate relationship with him. We have been made righteous because of the work of the cross. We have been called out from a place of sinfulness and set apart for him. Sometimes we use the word justified. It means the same thing as righteous. We have been justified. We have been made righteous because of the work that Jesus has done. And through Jesus, he makes it possible for us, for our relationship with him to be right again. But not only are we right with God again, so not only have we been made righteous, but we have also been set apart 
That's the second thing that we learn from God. God has set the Levites apart from the rest of the tribes of Israel. Their role wasn't to be involved in the military or the agricultural or the commercial part of the life of Israel. Their role was to be a bridge between God and the people. Their role was to approach God, to enter into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people and then go back out amongst the people to share with them what God wanted them to hear. And our role is no different. The reason that we can pray prayers of intercession is because we are a priesthood. We can approach God on behalf of other people and talk to him about their needs and about our concern about them. But we also have that other role of being the ones who go out and tell others of what God wants them to know. In the New Living Translation of the Bible, that passage from 1 Peter that we we read about uh, being a priesthood, in the New Living Translation it says these words, you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And then he he puts it, it's, it's put this way, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to teach them everything that I have commanded you. We have become that bridge, that mouthpiece between God and the world. We have been made righteous or justified and we have been set apart or sanctified, sanctified is another word that we use to describe that, justified and sanctified, made righteous and set apart to do the work that God has set us aside to do. And then the third thing that we, um, heard, that, that, that we get from that, and it's the, it's the bit that we, that we heard in, the, in that long section with all, all the different names, and, and I apologize to Jim in advance, and, but the reason that we needed to hear those passages is because what we see in those passages is that the priests had the responsibility for caring for the tabernacle, for the dwelling place of God. Now, I'm not talking about that we all have a responsibility to care for our church buildings. We, we do, but that's not what's happening here. That's, that's a stewardship thing, but what, what we're seeing here is, is caring for the tabernacle, caring for the dwelling place of God. But there is no longer a building where God resides. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he says to her that there is a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, that's the mountain where the Samaritans worship God, nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We do not need to go to any special mountain or any special building in Jerusalem to worship God because God does not live in those places. He lives in us. When we become followers of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we are now the tabernacle. We are now the place where God resides. And so if the priests had a responsibility to care for the tabernacle, then we have a responsibility to care for one another. In the same way that the Levites looked after different parts of the tabernacle, so we look after the different parts of the body of Christ. And each one of us is a different part of the body of Christ. And so we have a mutual responsibility to care for one another. 
But when we see how the different clans um, had, had, were given different roles, looked after different parts of the tabernacle, it also reminds us that as the body of Christ, we all have different roles to play. God has given us a whole variety of gifts and talents, and we have a responsibility to use them for God's purpose. We spent some time over a few Mondays thinking about what is our God-given gift and then being challenged to think about how do we use them though. It's all good and well knowing what that gift is, but we need to use them. And we asked the question there, and, and, and I want to bring that question to you as well, is, is we wanted to marry up what is our gift and where is our passion. We asked that question, where is, where is your heart? What is that passion that God has placed in you? Is it a passion for children? Is it a passion for young married couples? Is, is it a passion for, for the hungry? Where is your heart? It's a question that we're going to come back to in a couple of weeks to get you thinking about. Where is your heart? God had given them a place for them to, to do their work as, as, as part of this tribe of Levi. God has given us a passion and a gift where we will do our work as part of the body of Christ. And we have that responsibility to care for one another and to work together so that the body of Christ is cared for, but not just cared for, so that the body of Christ can function in the way that God has formed us to function. The tabernacle had a purpose, and if it wasn't cared for, it wouldn't be able to fulfill that purpose. As the body of Christ, we have a purpose and if we don't care for one another, and if we don't fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us, the body of Christ cannot function the way that it was set apart to function. And we're also to remember that the Levites couldn't pick or choose what they wanted to do or whether they wanted to do that, and it should be no different for us. We have been made righteous. We have been set apart by God to be his people in the world, to be that bridge between him and the world, to come to him with the needs of those that we love, but also to go out into the world and to let them know what God wants them to know, what they need to know. That is the thread that we see beginning in Numbers. And it works its way all through the Bible, and it comes out there in, in, in the book of Acts, when those early believers become filled with the Holy Spirit and are sent out into the world. And it continues, that thread continues to this day. We are a royal priesthood. We have been made righteous through our faith in Jesus, and so we have an intimate relationship with God. We have been set apart to do the work that God has called us to do, which is to show the world the goodness of God, to show the world the goodness of God, and to make disciples of all the nations. And we care for one another. Every part of the body caring for the other parts of the body so that the body can fulfill its function in the world because that is what we have been set apart to do. Let's pray. God, you have called us. You have made us righteous and you have set us apart as your people in the world. And my prayer is simply this, give us the courage to live as a royal priesthood in this broken world. Amen.